guys. Thanks for listening to the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at Fanbolt. And uh, my name is Chikai Mickelson, Creative Director of Atlanta Movie Tours, and I just hit the microphone with my hat. So that's the way Episode 13 is starting. Hitting the microphone with the bill of my hat. It seems appropriate for Episode 13. It kind of does. If only it were a Friday. <laughs> Although, if somebody could be listening to this on the Friday, ooh. Then it's nothing. perfect. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, we have kind of, we have some appropriate content, I think, for a 13th episode. <laughs> nice. um, <laughs> uh, we have a little bit of catching up to do, but we're also going to talk about uh, Netflix's new series, Stranger Things, which I'm completely in love with. And we have an exclusive interview with Brian Michael Bendis. And we have course box office results. And then Chikai saw a film that was somewhere... I, what did you see? You saw something. <laughs> yes, I saw a film on Netflix. <laughs> on Netflix. I oh, see. Yes. So we have a Netflix theme going today. There we go. Um, but yeah, so this uh, since our last episode, uh, a couple of cool things happened. Um, Cirque du Soleil came through Atlanta uh, with Torque, which is the James Cameron-inspired Cirque du Soleil. Uh, very, very different than a traditional Cirque. It's... It's all about like costumes and the makeup and the effects and uh, the puppetry. Not so much about the acrobatics and all of that other stuff. Oh, I didn't realize that from afar. I thought it was just like people in blue, but still doing flips. Yeah, there were a couple of flips, but not really that many flips. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It kind of, it reminded me a little bit of like uh, Broadway's Lion King. It was all kind of about the puppetry and they have like this one kind of flying bird creature. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but um, it's really impressive puppetry with how they, they move that around the stage. And it's it's quite large and uh, pretty cool to look at. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of the press people got some, uh, some ears, some of the Avatar-esque ears as uh, kind of like a a present thing to be able to post on social media and say we went and all that fun stuff. And so a few of those popped up on Thursday night at Project Cosplay, which was alien themed this month. <laughs> Alienish. Alienish themed. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, you came to that. I was super excited that you came. Well, I did. I was there. And I actually, uh, just, just by a fluke, I, I ended up being a judge also, which was a very <laughs> exciting surprise. Yes, I was really glad that you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a huge. It was great for me just to wield so much power yeah. in, in a public forum. Finally, so much pe power. People could feel my fury <laughs> and, and just the strength that I that I bring into situations involving uh, uh, women wearing undergarments and tinfoil. So yep. it, it was perfect. <laughs> it was kind of a unique twist this month. Uh, we had a burlesque troupe that was our, our models for the show. So they did a peel at the end. I didn't know what that meant <laughs> until Thursday night. I was like, peel? Like, what are we, are we doing some sort of skin treatment? Like, what is, what do you mean a peel? Um, so now I know that that means taking off clothes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is very, wait for it, appealing. Yes, oh, I did. Oh, I see yes, what you I did, did there. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was a fun, a fun night. And I actually got to meet up with um, the guys that are running a new production company here in Atlanta called Picture It Productions. Um, really, really cool dudes doing something really cool. Uh, if you haven't looked them up or you haven't heard about them yet, definitely Google it and check out what they're doing. But basically their goal is 
to bring everything to Atlanta in the sense that you only go to LA to pitch. So even with shows that currently film here, the writers' rooms and you know a lot of the production still takes place elsewhere, um, not in Atlanta. And so the goal that they're kind of um, going for is to bring you know set up writers' rooms here in Atlanta and have more of the production happening here as well. So basically, only thing you do in LA is go and pitch. So you can submit your show ideas to them. And if the idea is promising, they'll actually work with you to kind of refine the pitch and do a spec script and then kind of develop a pitch that you can actually go out to L.A. or to New York with and actually pitch to a network. That's pretty cool. That's that's a cool concept to bring more of it here. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'm all for that. I I want Atlanta to be L.A. Well, be careful. (laughs) <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. I know. Our traffic is already like, it's, it's already super similar. I, I will <laughs> admit, Well, I will admit when I lived in L.A. and I came here, everybody was like, oh, the traffic in Atlanta is horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And I was like, ah, I don't know if it's really that bad. Because to be fair, here you can at least get, and I still call it the freeway because, again, sorry, Southern California. Um, but, but you can actually kind of plan a time when the freeway isn't logged. Yeah. No such thing in L.A. You, you, yeah. If you're getting on the freeway, you're not moving quickly. I, I feel like that's what Atlanta's becoming, though. I mean, I don't know. Well, it's not, not as bad yet, but I uh, definitely think with all the new construction and then all of the, the production that's happening here and everyone moving here. It's true. It, it, it totally is changing because I, I, I will absolutely admit I used to be like, oh, it's not that bad here. But then one day when I was still living down in Castleberry Hill... I came to Stockbridge to pick up a friend of mine who lived in Stockbridge at like 5 p.m. on a Friday. No. Yeah. Oh, no. I learned. I learned <laughs> to never do that again. And then that I got here and basically just punched my friend right in his face. Just <laughs> punched him. He understood. Friendship. Yes. Priceless. It's, it's very important. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of everything that's been up with me since episode 12. <laughs> since since way back when. Well, yeah, I, uh, back I in was, the day. So yeah, back back when we were young. <laughs> um, I actually got a chance to, uh, with Creative Visions, which I've talked about on the, on the show before, we kind of had, there's a woman named Erin started this club specifically for documentary filmmakers. She did a film called Imba Means Sing, and it meets every other month. And this month, which was last week, we met at a post-production facility called RGB TV. And basically what it is, it's, it's a, uh, you know, uh, people that are pretty serious about telling stories kind of sat together and reviewed each other's work and you meet some pretty cool people i met a guy uh who actually worked for cnn for 30 plus years and finally broke out of it because he wanted to tell his own story and it was interesting to hear him talk about how cnn has a formula but the formula is almost too good so he he's been kind of uh finding a second life doing his own thing independent even though he filmed and edited and produced and directed so many documentaries for cnn right like he already made it to the mountaintop but now he's kind of refining his voice on his own terms so it was just uh it was a super I left that meeting feeling super pumped because I've got the film Spilled Milk that I'm still trying to get out there um, and got some really good notes from other people in that crew. So uh, I don't know if there are any documentary filmmakers out there. They're going to be meeting um, in August next, so mid-August. And actually, I don't want to 
accidentally take this back if I'm not right, but I'm pretty sure the next meeting is actually going to take place at Atlanta Movie Tours. So if there's anybody out there who's, who's creating film and wants to get involved with the community, the people that are actually doing it and doing it well, by the way, um, I'd suggest giving it a look. It's all organized by Aaron, who, uh, who, who's bringing creative visions out here to Atlanta. So, gosh, it kind of sounds like I'm doing like a public service announcement, but I really left <laughs> that pumped. It was, it was a really cool meeting. Awesome. Awesome. You don't have an exact day for that yet, do you? Not yet. I just know okay. it's mid-August. Gotcha. Well, if I am here, I am there. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I have been totally swamped, and then I got screeners for Stranger Things on Netflix, and it premieres on July 15th, and I was like, I'm going to watch the pilot. I really don't have time. And then I fell in love with it, and I like watched all three of them. Oh, man. Um, so it's, and now I'm just like, when, when do I get the rest? And apparently I get the rest like the first week of July, so I'm just going to marathon through it. Oh, wow. But, you, um, so you get all of them bef- just before everybody else gets them? Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, which is good because I'm obsessed. But, um, <laughs> for those people that don't know about Stranger Things, it actually filmed here in Atlanta late last year and wrapped in March of this year. And we'll have some interviews coming up. Uh, one of them, which will be exclusive interview that I did with one of the cast members and the rest were, uh, we had like a, a big group of press on set that day when I was there. Uh, But to kind of give you an idea of what it's about, it is set in Hawkins, Indiana in 1980, in the 1980s, and it chronicles a search for a young boy who vanishes into thin air under highly suspicious circumstances. His mother, who is played by Rhinona Ryder, opens an investigation into the boy's disappearance with local authorities that unravels a series of mysteries involving top secret government experiments, terrifying supernatural forces, and one very strange little girl. It's really a love letter to the movies of the 80s, and it's a coming-of-age story for three boys that draws um, from this quaint community into a world where mysteries look beneath the surface. That's uh, the official description. It's a, you know what? I would give that official uh, description an atla. That's how good that official description is. Yeah. Well, I would give the show an atlas. Ooh. So, <laughs> only only three uh, in. Like, yeah. like it. I'm in love with it. It really does. You know, when I was on set, they kept describing it as a cross between Goonies, Poltergeist, and uh, Stand By Me. And it feels so authentically 80s that it's hard to believe it wasn't made in the 80s. It's just, it's everything that you loved about those movies from that era. My brain is still melting from combining those three. So (laughs) thank you for that. It's amazing. I'm so, I'm just, I'm in love with it. I, I reached out to Netflix today and we're going to do um, some giveaways on FanBolt with some cool swag from, Ooh, from the show. I like it. But, uh, I like yeah, it. I'm in love with it. I'm like, I need whatever I can get from the show. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be like their, their ambassador. I just, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's a but, lot of responsibility um, to be somebody's ambassador. This is but, true. Uh, I think you're up to the task. I think I can handle it. I stand, I stand by this. I stand by it. Do you, you stand by me while you stand by it? That's yep. a, that's another force. Listen, everybody should know my blood sugar is so low because I have not eaten lunch. So just, I'm going to be a little bit crazier than usual today. Yeah, we were, we were supposed to record earlier today and then I messed that up. And then you said you might have a good story from that. Well, let me ask you a question. H- have you ever been like started your day just having a regular day? And then before the day was over, you were super stressed out about the fact that you had to buy a tub 
before the day was over. Has, has that ever happened to you? No. No. <laughs> it's not one that I ever anticipated. But as you know, we're in the middle of renovating this house and uh, we're making great progress. But apparently, come to find out, the plumber is leaving town on Friday. I mean, this is such a ridiculous first world problem. But this is what just came out of nowhere. So I, for a second today, I was going to a place called, what is it, PDI. It's called PDI because the plumber's going to be out until like July 8th, which isn't going to do well at all. So we've got to get a tub in before the inspection can happen. So all of a sudden today, we're Mandy, by the way, who's very pregnant and had two doctor's appointments this afternoon that she couldn't move. So suddenly it was up to me to go pick out a tub by myself, a forever tub. So I went to this place called PDI, which apparently is a place where you're supposed to, you know, uh, make an appointment and they show you fixtures for bathrooms and kitchens and stuff. And I just showed up wearing shorts and a T-shirt, a little bit unshaven, wearing a hat because I did not know I was going to be shopping for this stuff today. And uh, basically, short and long of it is we need a six foot tub because it's a big bathroom and they don't have six feet tubs. And I didn't end up finding it. And it's just a big, and they basically told me, well, if you want a six foot tub, it's going to take 16 days and we can't obviously do that. So in the meanwhile, they're going to go to home people. This is the dumbest story as I tell it. <laughs> but the short and long of it is this started the day not stressed out about a tub. And before the day was nearly over, Mandy and I were like almost going to blows, stressed out about how the hell we were going to handle this tub while she had to go to doctor's appointments. And we were both in Atlanta without me having a car. I took lift to and back to thing. Oh, Emma. So now I'm just hanging out with you in the closet. So it's all come full circle. Yeah, then there's a week. Yeah, I, nobody, I don't even know what I'm saying, frankly. But the the so basically, for those of you who are super stressed out about how this is going to end, the guys went to Home Depot and they're basically just going to buy a temporary tub that's going to get reviewed and hopefully be approved. And then we'll swap it out with the real tub. I don't know how any of this works. My gut says we're going to end up with like a very basic tub. And you know what? It's just not going to matter. It's not going to matter. A six foot tub, though, sounds pretty awesome. It does. I didn't even know they made them that big. It, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't either. I'm, I, well, it's hilarious because my wife is like five one, so she can do laps in it. And uh, there you go. Well, cool. <laughs> so good, good. Good luck with that. <laughs> so yeah. So far, it's been a lot of tub talk. So thank you for allowing me to vent. No, I'm here for you. No problem. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I had a, I had a beautiful transition plan before I, before I asked you about your tub. So speaking of um, new media and tubs. New media, yeah. Netflix, new media. <laughs> so powers on the Sony PlayStation. Um, we've talked about, uh, powers a little bit before. Of course, also it was shot here in Atlanta. Um, I sat down with the series creator and the creator of the comic that the series is based off of, uh, Brian Michael Bendis at ATX Festival, uh, just, uh, almost two weeks ago now. And it was one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. He's just such a cool dude and um, such a, such a great guy to interview. He's a talker. He's definitely a talker, but I like that. And I felt like, I don't know, we have the interview to play and I feel like it's awesome. So <laughs> well, at this listen. point <laughs> we could, we could play the audio clip right now, or I could tell another bathtub story, which, which way do you think this should go? I think we should probably go to the interview. That's probably a good call. <laughs> Let's go ahead and listen. So I wanted to ask you about the 
ask you some questions about your process with everything. Sure. You have so much going on. Like, what does your time management look like? Like, how do you kind of separate everything that you do? It ha- it has become the thing. One of the things I'm most proud of over the years is like time management and and uh, balancing family and work. Um, so. It just every day you just look at what needs to be done and do that which needs to be done, um, and that includes the idea that family first, kids first, and when you're with the family, put the phone down and look them right in the eye. Uh, I see that that that's something I see growing a lot lately is kids um, asking for attention and not not in the in the in the bad way in the. Mommy, 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 and mommy's mommy's texting. Right. You know that's not attention. You that just you have to look them in the eye and, and, and speak to them and listen. So just making sure I do that with just everything that I have in front of me. And I am my my natural my resting face was multitasking before it was a phrase that people used. Mm-hmm. I always did it even when all the things I did none of it was actually generating any money or anything. I would solve all these projects that I was working on. So it's that, I trained myself to do that, but now I, I, people write me a check at the end of it, so it's nice, but I, I was already like this. So, no, you know what, listen, and, and, I, and there was just some things in my mind that I had decided that no matter what happens in television, that comics come first, that, that the base has to be comics, and, and my love, my first true and only love and medium would be comics, and make that the case so like you were on the set of powers I was sitting in Video Village writing an issue with Guardians of the Galaxy while they were setting up the lights I mean there are literally sometimes an hour and a half two hours where there's literally nothing for me to do like legally I'm not in your union I'm not uh, in the any craft union so I have to s- just sit quietly so great I'll, I'll work I have something to do so now the funny thing on that was like I was sitting in the Video Village writing Shalto, our lead of our show, just assumed that I was rewriting something they were working on that day, but I wasn't because that was all done, right? So he comes up behind me and reads what I'm writing. He goes, I'm real loud. He just goes, I am Groot because I was running Guardians of the Galaxy and he never seen Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you don't know what that is, that sounds nuts. So him yelling that out like scared everybody. Like why is Shalto just yelling, I am Groot in the, in the video village? So that was just funny to me. So it worked out. So my multitasking makes for genuinely fun stuff for me. Yeah, yeah. Some, some cool moments. But you know what, listen, and also my string of good luck is unbelievably long, but I do know that eventually they'll stop asking. Whoever asked me to do these things will stop asking. So why wouldn't I do as much as I could while they're asking? Definitely. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, where do you find that you're you're most creative? Like, is there a certain place? Like, some people are really creative in shower. Or do you have a place that you go that you're the most creative at? Bike riding is where I go to solve all the problems. I know you okay. can't tell from looking at me, but I'm a long-distance bike rider. Um, it is the thing that I that, that gets sacrificed the most with four children. But instead, now I have a double bike with a burly carrier at the end. So I'm a 16-foot thing going down the street <laughs> with my kids. But... Um, I long ago discovered cardiovascular activity and creativity come hand in hand. 
that just go on the long bike ride. I need a destination, like I'll find, oh, I need to go to Walgreens. Well, I'll go to the one that's eight miles away. So I'll, I'll ride my bike, and by the time I get back, I will have solved whatever problem I had creatively or found that other thing that I was looking for. So it, that, that's, that's a big part of it. But yeah, you know what? And then you find there's no magic trick. Sometimes it's a shower. Sometimes you're just lying in bed calm. Sometimes you're just enjoying life and just have a notepad on you. Look, it's never far away. Always have a notepad on you because you never know what's going to happen. Take the moment and write it down the minute it comes in your head. And even if you can't deal with it till later, you know, I've had that experience where I was in a wedding party and I'm on stage. And I'm like, oh, I hope I don't forget this. I just, something just occurred to me. So, you know, you'll just, wherever, whenever and whenever. But I do know that for me, cardiovascular is a big, bike riding is a big one. Cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking about those moments, um, do you have any kind of defining writing moments where you remember specifically that you came <laughs> up with something that, of course, has become one of your huge, your huge projects? You know, it's I'm wired with a little, little, little bit of self-loathing. Not, not that that kind of self-loathing that um, paralyzes me, but it's there. So the things I'm most loved for is sometimes the things that annoy me, like 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 not my favorite stuff, but you know those flashes of genius moments they're called. It's I rarely see them as a one like eureka light bulb idea. For for powers, it was I was literally in the middle of reading Homicide by David Simon, who's here this weekend, and uh, for the first time ever, I had the. And I write so many superheroes that people don't remember. I didn't write superheroes for the first 10 years of my comic career. I was just doing crime fiction. I wasn't thinking about superheroes at all, even though I love them. But I was raised by Watchmen and Dark Knight, so I was raised in it's all been done. They don't worry about that. And then, But then reading Homicide was the first time I said, what if this was in the world of superheroes? That was a very good idea, you know, and... Uh, what if what if uh, Chinatown took place in the world of superheroes? Became Jessica Jones, just things that I love. What, can you mash up the genres and, and have fun with it? So yeah, those moments. But truly, the best parts of those books, though, are so small and intimate. They come from a more much more intimate place than the high concept of I got an idea. Now, what was amazing to me is that no one had done powers before. They no one had created a book called Powers before like that was I, I, I remember because it wasn't as easily Googleable. I hate to age myself right. but I was I was I was I had lawyers look at it because I was like someone must have called the book Powers and no one had so just even now like well, it's so low hanging fruit I can't believe it you know that's a thing when you're looking at like trademarks and all of that. It's almost like everything that you would want to use is like taken. So. And that, yeah, and you're like you get used to that. You're like okay, but then you're always like amazed. Like uh, okay, no one's uh, wow. Okay, I, I found one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then also when you name a character and you're just alone in your room, like when I came up with Jessica Jones with with Michael and Michael later came on with it, but. I remember naming her, and you never think there might be actually someone in the world named Jessica Jones who's live. I might, like, you never think it's going to be a TV show and then it's going to ruin that person's world. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's funny. I think that's pretty cool. My name is Jessica Jones. 
I, it depends on the person. <laughs> like if you're a very, very devout person, it might be very annoying to you that there's a that's yeah yeah. Um, what kind of compromises do you feel you have to make for for story and character when going from comics to television? It's not a compromise; it's collaboration, and so the collaboration is much more intimate in comics. It's just literally me and Mike, who uh, uh, oh, I believe you met. I can't remember if you yes, met. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but. For the first 10 years of Howard's existence, it was him in his basement and me in my basement, giggling if we thought of some funny thing, not thinking there was ever going to be anything more than, oh, and even when the book hit, we're like, oh, great, the book hit, and the book hit because we were a little out there, so we just were like, all right, we can just be more out there. Now, it's hundreds of people, so it's still collaboration, but I... I'm addicted to it. I'm, I, I get I get fed by it in a big way, and uh, particularly now that like I feel like me and Mike can, regardless of our self-loathing, look at our collaboration as successful. That looking for the new experience of this larger collaboration, I don't look at it as compromise more as then that the idea has been opened for this. It's been built for this, gotcha. and, and but the only difference is like when me and Mike were like coming up with power stuff and we you know got really into like how powers would affect the sexual spectrum and draw all this naughty stuff that we would do in the book with just us but then when you have 65 naked people in a power steam sex club in real life and people are coming up to you asking which sex basket you want well that's weird <laughs> that's it's it's not it's not a compromise so much it's just bizarre it's just right. I'm gonna go back to my basement I'm, a, I'm, I'm the creepy one in the room, aren't I? Yeah. Um, having all of these kind of new mediums to be able to create content for and explore and really kind of, we're in this like shift now between like what cable and traditional programming yeah. has become and then what you guys are doing with Sony. Um, how do you feel, or, or do you feel that's made a difference in, in what you're able to do creatively? Obviously, I feel like you're probably way, able to get away with more than you would be on No, it was, it was cool, you know, and, and that was part of our long journey of development you know Powers literally was purchased by Sony after the first issue was published in 2000 this was a long time ago I've been told and uh, but we had like a 15 16 year journey of getting this on the air and part of the problem was the content was adult and it was you know sometimes parody and sometimes serious and sometimes sexual and sometimes violent it was adults for adults and it was different the network version sounds pretty boring and bad yeah. even the HBO or FX version it just you know we, we made a pilot at, at FX and, and it was just still something's a little off but then it was the people at Sony said yeah, why don't you come here just do do your thing because we think that that thing is going to be the way this audience is looking for more and more edgy material they're, they're going to they're gonna want more and you know Marvel had the same thing with the Netflix shows and um, so it was just that audience who read our stuff growing up and wanting more of it and, and so that mindset was very healthy for us so no one said don't do this don't do that it was always like like go do make more like even like when you hand in something that says Powers Team Sex Club 60 people are naked you're like well this will be a test to see where, where they are and and uh uh, not a, not a, not a, not a wince, not a, well, yeah, they were like, it, 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 it is, they said we wanted to be more like the comic, and it is more like the comic, so, 
I, I do think, yeah, there's an audience, and I wouldn't even say that it's an alternative audience because you know we just woke up yesterday morning to the just the 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 YouTube version of it doing three million. Well, that's amazing. Like we did not see that coming. So that's millions of people are interested in adult fare in this genre. So um, I'm happy that um, a major studio is um, happy to oblige. Yeah. yeah. Have you it's got crazy. any pushback on anything in terms of the scripts or storylines where they're like, maybe this is a little too too much or can we kind of change this? I'm gen- I'm I think we're in this beautiful bubble now where they like uh, they, they where they no where well I, a number one it, like even reading the material you could see well this is the intent right. so it's not like I'm you're reading the script going well what do you mean like it's all stuff based on the book like you know this you I can show you drawings of this or you can you've already seen it so you know what we're gonna do so but that plus I just think we were in this like sweet spot of. If we are to break out, then do that. Do the do something they're not going to see on CBS. And then do something they're not going to see on Supergirl. Like you know, like don't you know? So yeah, I, I I'm so I'm literally can't think of anything. I, I just it was our mindset and their mindset were on the same page. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, listen. My my crazy sex club episode is aired already. So I, I it's. It's out there, yeah. I literally wrote a guy swinging in a sex basket with sparklers shooting out of his butt, and there he is. That was a guy's job that day, to swing in a sex basket with sparklers shooting out of his butt. Uh, can you talk a little bit about filming in Atlanta and just kind of um, your experience with kind of like the, the talent pool that is there? Because now there is more kind of talent to pick from and crew to pick from, and, and that whole Yeah, I was... I was I had not spent a lot of time in Atlanta in my life, but I was I was surprised how much of an industry town it had turned into. Um, you know, from from like studio tours, like like you listen on the radio, you probably heard this. Like, come to the set of Walking Dead as we drive by, like you would in L.A. So it really is an industry town, and um, I don't know, like in Portland. It's also there's a lot of shows that film in Portland where I live. Like the librarians and Grimm and Portlandia, obviously, but but still, when people see it's a show, they're like, "Ooh, what's filming?" You know what I mean? I mean, even people in New York do that. You're like, "Ooh, what's filming?" In Atlanta, boy, they were over it. They're like, "Yeah," you know. So that the traffic was horrendous. It was quite uh, haunting, but the food was amazing. What was your so. favorite place you ate at? I got to tell you, there was um, uh, Fat Nats um, was a rib place on top of the fact that the woman that ran the place was so nice to my family. Uh, my daughter was going through a little uh, uh, um, crisis of conscience over something about her skin color, and this woman came up and, and just completely empowered my daughter in such a powerful... I'll never forget this woman for the rest of my life. She literally overheard something and sat down and, and, and helped our family in a beautiful way. It was just one of those... That, that's Atlanta. Like that's a, That was a very Atlanta thing, and I... yeah. That's yeah. a great memory to take. Yeah, it was very, very sweet. Yeah, like even my daughter said, "Are we ever going to go back to Atlanta? I'd like to see, say hi to that lady." I'm like, "Yeah, we will. We will <laughs> we'll go back." back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to ask you: Is there anything you can tease in regards to Jessica Jones the next season? I know there's not like a date yet. You know, like, no, I, I as you very well know, it's been said by many, many of the biggest actors in the world that anything that is said, um, the, the joke being that little red lo- dots will start appearing on me. Right. So no, I can't. I will say that um, 
uh, having spent time with Melissa, who runs the show. We were just at, not to be braggy, we were just at the Peabody's a couple weeks ago on stage winning the first Peabody for anything comic book related ever. So yeah, it was, it was insane. Um, so I'm very excited for what she's going to do. Uh, so much so that I'm returning to the character in comic book form come this fall. Um, uh, myself, Michael Gatos, the other creator, Jessica Jones, and David Mack, who did the covers, were all returning to bring Jessica back to the private eye world that she was born into. So, so I, I miss her, and we're 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 doing it. Cool. Yeah. So I uh, I will say that that was a very good interview. Well, well, thank you. Well done, Emma. But but I must also say that I felt the other interviews you did were actually at the same level. I, I like I thought when you first talked about it, you were like like my mind was going to be blown, but. You ask good questions, but uh, I didn't. I didn't think it was that too far out of the out of the awesomeness of your others. If I could say that in a high pitched voice. Well, you know, I actually did the uh, the Bendis interview before the two West Wing interviews, so I hadn't anything to compare it to as of yet. I think. I mean, I felt like every interview I did on that trip, it was just in such a relaxed environment. It was in a bar. It was very chill, and it was just. Uh, I don't know. I feel like everyone's a little bit more relaxed and and less on guard at that event as compared to to other cons and festivals and all of that jazz. So yeah, it was good. Though that 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 makes a lot of sense. So short and long of it, you were on a winning streak for that. Yes, and that's that's awesome. But <laughs> I, but seriously, like that is a great interview, and I, I specifically love the fact that he was talking about. Uh, like he remembers ideas and stuff that he has and how it was a job and he was specifically staying away from superheroes and then how powers struck him. I, I like that's because that, I've had times in my life where something has struck me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a great idea, but they're, they're rare and I never know what brings it on. So I, I, I just enjoyed that piece of it. Yeah, I always think it's kind of interesting to to kind of get some behind the scenes kind of details like that, like, you know, where they came up with the idea or what inspired it or that first kind of, um, even though he says it's not always a eureka moment, still, you know, that kind of first initial moment when you have the idea that leads to it. I think it's kind of fun to to learn about that and what shapes that. And uh yeah. Well, how awesome is it that he could actually, he had this idea to call it Powers, and then he actually was able to call it Powers. Right? It's yeah. um, it's so funny, because uh, I mean, I'm working on some trademark stuff right now myself, and dealing with stuff that's not already been taken. It's, I was, I was shocked when he was telling me that he was shocked that it wasn't taken. I was also shocked that it wasn't taken. Yeah, well, that's one of the, of the few advantages of having a name as weird as mine, is I've kind of, I guess I don't own the trademark on it, but I've cornered the... You should the, trademark it. I, maybe I should. But I've, co- I've cornered the internet with like Jakai.com and Facebook.com forward slash Jakai. Although somebody did beat me to YouTube. Somebody beat me to YouTube. Aww. It's a very sad time. I like that I made it all about me. Um, <laughs> well, what was your favorite? I'm curious. You know, you're talking about all your favorite uh, interviews and stuff. What, what specifically, what made that your favorite? Um, I just feel like uh, a good interview for me is when they do more than just answer the question, when they offer you a story or an antidote or um, they kind of, you know, talk about more than just answering the question with right. a kind of um, stock answer. Uh, so I felt like, you know, the stories that he offered and everything that he kind of also talked about was was really great. Felt like a real conversation versus a collection of sound bites. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, and I have, um, anyone that does as much as, as he does, um, 
I don't know, it just kind of amazes me the time management between, you know, his work that he's doing with Jessica Jones and Powers. And, you know, he just got another one of his projects, Scarlet, is being picked up by HBO. And it's in the very, very early stages. But, you know, doing all of that, but then also still working on the comics that he works on, it's just... I don't know how you you work on so many complex universes and not go crazy with, you know, stories bleeding into stories and just kind of, um, I don't know, it just seems chaotic to me. Apparently, we all need to go on a bike ride. Apparently. That's the key. That's the key. Yep. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was that. And let me lead us into our box office results. Can you guess what came in first? Um, I'm thinking in an unprecedented event in cinematic history, Nice Guys came roaring back and <laughs> took the number one spot. Oh, that would be such a great story. Maybe Nice Guys too, but that's probably not going to get made because, yeah, it's just not going to happen. I know. <laughs> we can move on. We can move on. We can move on. We can continue to grieve. Um, Finding Dory actually came in first this weekend at the box office. It debuted with $136.2 million, and it's officially the second largest June opening of all time, right behind last year's Jurassic World. And if you're wondering how that compares to Finding Nemo, which came out 13 years ago, uh, that film debuted with $70.2 million opening weekend and, of course, went on to gross $936.7 million worldwide. So, solid start for, for Miss Dory. Not too shabby. Not, Not too, too shabby. shabby. Um, and then coming in second, we had Central Intelligence, which is uh, The Rock and Kevin Hart's new movie. And it came in with uh, $34.5 million. Didn't hurt that Kevin Hart was buying out theaters and telling fans to go see the, the film there. So he uh, bought out a number of theaters around the Los Angeles area for, <laughs> for fans to see the film for free. He did the uh, same which, thing with, uh, with Wedding Ringer, didn't he? I Did he? I don't I, know. I could have <laughs> swore I read that article on FanBolt.com. You might have. I probably didn't write that one or I would remember it. (laughs) There's very few on there that I've not written, but that sounds like one of them. Um, But yeah, so uh, Conjuring 2 came in third with 15.6 million. And Now You See Me 2 came in fourth with 9.6 million. And fifth place was Warcraft with 6.5 million. And despite only grossing 37.7 million so far domestically, the film has made a worldwide total of 377.6 million, making it the largest video game movie of all time. That is spectacular. And I love here in the States, it is being outperformed by Now You See Me Too. Meanwhile, it's this runaway world hit. Yep. Trying to think who I know overseas so I can call them and be like, don't, 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 don't go see that movie. Come on. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, speaking of movies that uh, people, I don't don't know how to transition into this. I'm so disappointed that there's not going to be any screeners for Independence Day. And usually in the press circle, when you hear that there's not going to be a screener for a film, normally not a good sign. Yeah. Normally, they don't want you to talk about it, and it's really bad, and that's why there's no screener for it. And we're coming off of such a, a string of bad sequels that I'm just... I mean, I know that this is not a good sign. No, so. yeah. It's, you know, I, I, uh, 
me and my stepbrother have gotten in huge fights about this because I've never been the hugest fan of Independence Day. Because, well, see, so let me let me explain myself. And actually, my brother he really put me in my place because. I didn't see it in the theater when it was like an event. My brother, when he saw it, it was, it was kind of like, cause it was almost like one of the first of its kind, you know, and he watched it. The theater was so packed. He watched it on the steps, not even on in a seat. Cause it was, and it's wow. when, um, it's when, uh, stadium seating first started to become a thing, which is, that's how long ago that was. And, <laughs> it, and for him, it was like this major event. It was so much fun. He had this great time, the energy of the crowd and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then fast forward four months or whatever it was when I rented it on VHS and watched it by myself in my living room. I was like, I do not get what all the hubbub is about with this stupid movie. So. I'm shaking my head right now. Really? Oh, man. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, it's. It's not, again, it's not one of the greatest movies no, ever, but I felt like not. it was so iconic for the genre and just, I don't know, it's like one of the go-to movies I think about from the 90s. No, and, and you, you're totally right to feel that way. I think I am I am a victim of not seeing it in the theater to experience the energy and hearing everybody tell me about how it was the greatest thing ever. So right. it's like that classic thing where you go to a movie with upside down expectations almost on either side of the of the measuring stick. It it's always seems to go the other way, you know, but I would never, ever say like because I was actually oh, I'm curious because, too, I love me some Bill Pullman. Come on. It's a uh, Lone Star from from Spaceballs. You can't go wrong with him. He's playing the yeah. president. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna have to pay to go see that one. It's been a it's been a while since I haven't seen a movie for free that uh that's come out. So that'll be a a movie going experience for me when when I get back. Well, uh, hopefully, um, it'll be good. It'll be worth it. Hopefully, it'll be okay. <laughs> it won't be as uh, dramatic as uh, tub tub shopping is for some people. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it's gonna be that bad. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so you saw a movie about a snake. Well, I, is that right? I, yeah, not <laughs> exactly. I uh, are you are you like a WWE fan? Were you ever a wrestling fan? No. Yeah, I got that's a, that's kind of a sport. It right? is kind of on the sports side of things, but so no, <laughs> I I never was huge either. I like when I was a super young kid, I all the front runners like the Hulk Hogan and the Hacksaw Dim Dungan and like Roddy Roddy Piper. Those guys, you at least know those names, don't you? I know some of them. Okay. Well, that's Hulk Hogan. You know who Hulk Hogan is. I know that one. (laughs) Okay. Well done. Um, Well, I just happened to, and this is why I reached out to you, because I happened to see this on Netflix. And every once in a while, you kind of uncover a gem on Netflix, and I'll just watch it. Like, all right, let's see it. And it's a documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. And Jake the Snake was a pretty big deal wrestler in the mid-80s. And I didn't know him specifically, but the name... I'd heard before, but it ended up being a really powerful documentary about addiction and trying to come back from alcohol and drug addiction. Um, and it was just kind of a fascinating look at like this guy who was larger than life in the eighties is now this broken down old dude who can't even do a push up anymore. And it's just a fascinating journey through like, is it better to have had and lost or to have never had at all? And, I started thinking, oh, I'll just watch this to kill some time. And just like you got sucked into those three episodes, it just pulled me right in. So it's just a quick on an aside. If you've got Netflix and you're into a, a pretty powerful story, uh, I would suggest checking out Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Very cool. Very cool. There, There is a moment when you're watching the film where you start to get a little tired. 
but but that's kind of the nature of addiction weirdly that's that's what people who have addiction can kind of pull their family through because they're good at talking and right when you think they're on the upswing something else happens and at that journey just kind of it seems like rents repeat and this movie i think kind of exemplified that a little bit because you root for jake the snake but you're also like dude with jake the snake so it was a uh, quite the roller coaster Cool. Yeah. Isn't that uh, fun? So Resurrection of Jake the Snake, if you're near a Netflix box, feel free to give it a look and let me know if you also liked it or disliked it. I mean, everyone should have that because Stranger Things is July 15th. There you go. So, so yeah, that's they can watch that before uh, before all of the episodes of Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so as far as what's coming up, um, we are going to have some interviews from that show that'll be coming up in the next couple of episodes. Although next week, next week's going to be interesting because Atlas is going international. Worldwide. Worldwide. Like an actual what? <laughs> Atlas. Yep. Yeah. It's all full circle now. Yeah. Just, just like a globe. <laughs> it's, a full, it's a full sphere of circles. Let's that just has- see how many puns we can make. <laughs> That has land and water on it. Yeah, but that's super exciting. Where are you going to be exactly? I'm going to be all over the place. Um, so it's uh, I'm going out there with their tourism board and going to be touring all over the country, uh, looking at various film sites uh, from Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, uh, my personal favorite, Cloud Atlas, which no one watched, but <laughs> I loved. <laughs> and um, just a ton of different movie locations and, and TV locations. And then in addition to that, just kind of general geeky locations with castles and, of course, Loch Ness. So I'll be doing a, a, a cruise on Loch Ness and then doing their monster exhibit. And then they have a castle there that's pretty cool, too. So we're going to check that out. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be the only thing you're going to see for the rest of the week on my social media. But, yeah, so that's uh, that's all we have for this week. That's it. So uh, it's very nice to talk to you, Emma. And uh, (laughs) I look forward to one day having a tub that I can be proud of and that you can be proud of. That's also (laughs) important to me. Good luck with that. I want to see photos of the six foot tub when you get it in. I mean, I want to see what that looks like. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know if we're going to if we're not going to be able to get the inspection passed. I just we're going to move into this house in the year 2023. Thank you guys for listening. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt. And my name is Shekai Mickelson, Reader of FanBolt, and also Creative Director of Atlanta Movie Tours. And we'll see you guys next week. From Scotland. Or wait, Ireland. Same place. Scotland. (laughs) 